Welcome to Mayo Clinic Q&A. It's May the 6th and I'm Dr. Helena Gazelka. Well, spring has sprung even here in Minnesota and uh, we're aware of our spring cleaning rituals once again. Even more interesting this year with the COVID-19 uh, pandemic, we are aware that we need to be cleaning and disinfecting our homes. In fact, the CDC has put out some new guidelines and recommendations for uh, doing this cleaning. And we have Mayo Clinic infectious disease expert and virologist, Dr. Greg Poland with us today to discuss that. Good morning. Today, um, you know, we think about spring cleaning and of course I think with horror of all the dust I need to get in the windows I need to clean. But related to COVID-19, what are the most important parts of our homes to, to get clean uh, this year? Yeah, you know, I, I think uh, just, to, just to take a very practical approach, if it is the case that nobody in your home has been infected, then your home is safe. Uh, it would just be the standard spring cleaning that one would normally do. But let's assume that somebody in the home either was sick or presumed to have had, even if they might not have been tested. This is a good time to, to clean the house. Get the windows open, get the sunlight and fresh air in. There's actually some evidence of the benefit of that. But I think the key thing is when we clean, when we disinfect a surface, is that we put gloves on, we don't mix chemicals, and we use any of the standard EPA-authorized disinfectants, or you can make your own with a third of a cup of bleach and a gallon of water, um, and use that to clean hard surfaces. These are not chemicals that you should put on your skin or ingest or sniff or anything like that, but for the hard surfaces in your home. Those are easy chemicals to use. Again, you don't want to mix them um, and, and clean your hard surfaces. The other thing I think that's worth talking about is the air handling system in your home. You know, for those of us in cold weather environments like Minnesota, we're just creeping to the point where we can kind of open the windows on, on some days. This is a good time to change the filters on your, uh, on your furnace or on your air conditioning ducts. And uh, if they've never been clean, you might want to think about cleaning those. But there are high-efficiency particulate filters that can be used. And I think that's a, a reasonable and cost-effective thing to do. That's a, that's a really good advice, Greg, because I try to avoid the furnace, and that's not something I would necessarily have thought about. Um, the other thing is that I try to avoid is bleach. Um, I am really a mess with bleach and have um, ruined more um, towels, carpet, and clothes than, than uh, I should probably tell you about. But um, can you tell us, are there other chemicals besides bleach that could be used? Um, yeah. What are they? And yeah. um, just soap and water work. Yeah, so you made a good point about bleach and, and it needs to be used carefully, right? We don't want somebody spilling it on their skin or into their eyes or anything like that. And as you point out, it will tend to discolor um, cloths, fabrics, even some hard surfaces. Um, so I'm glad you brought up soap and water. I didn't mention it and I should have. Soap and water is extremely effective. You don't have to buy some kind of very toxic or very expensive um, cleaner. Soap and water for enveloped viruses and, and uh, SARS-CoV-2 is an enveloped virus, will kill the virus or inactivate the virus very easily. 
so really any of those products are absolutely fine for cleaning your home and the advantage of soap and water is that you're not going to you're not going to harm yourself and you're not going to discolor anything so when when we use the soap and water it's actually killing the virus yeah. um, not just removing it from the surface yeah. well it does both of course it's removing it but the key thing with soaps is that they contain desiccants and surface tension uh, 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 ingredients where the soap molecules actually get into the lipid membrane of the virus and inactivate it. So you're on the one hand inactivating the virus and on the other hand physically removing it off the surface. Supposing that we've gotten all of our surfaces clean, what kind of daily upkeep should we do to uh, keep our homes clean? Yeah, I think, you know, that 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 leaves the realm of SARS-CoV-2, uh, assuming that we're not bringing that into our home, and gets more into the dust mites and other things that have medical consequences to them. So I, I think just to speak in, in general about it, we want to keep dust out of our homes because we you do end up with dust mites. I think for people who have allergies, using uh, plastic mattress covers, um, that, that prevent uh, a place for those mites to live. And then periodic cleaning of the hard surfaces in your home. Again, with soap and water or any of the standard household cleaners that you can buy. How often to do it, I think, is a function of your individual behaviors and risks. So for us as healthcare workers, uh, for example, if I'm in the hospital, I do not wear those shoes into my home. Those clothes that I have worn, um, I take them off in, in the garage, actually, um, and, then, and then wash those uh, clothes as well as sanitize my hands. Uh, but if you're a farmer and you don't have people coming in and out of your house, there's no particular concern for you. Uh, let's say you are going to the workplace and you are exposed again. I would probably say don't wear the same shoes in the house. And uh, on the weekend, clean your, ho your home and the hard surfaces. So you mentioned going back to work, Greg. And here, obviously, there are a lot of shared surfaces at work, including yeah. a lot of times the computer stations that people use. What um, sort of special thought can we give to cleaning our work areas or um, sort of preventing what we come in contact with from affecting mm -hmm. us? You know, that's a really good question because it's a practical one that all of us are having to face. And I think, let, let, me, let me mention the risks and then talk about how we reduce, we can't eliminate, but reduce those risks. So any publicly touched surface, elevator buttons, door handles, public telephones, keyboards, um, the, the desks that we lean on or put our materials down to write, uh, or anything like that in the hospital. We have to assume, and it's taking the right dose of caution, we have to assume that those are infected. Um, and we do as healthcare workers, whether it's coronavirus or MRSA or C. difficile, whatever it would be. So we come out of a patient's room or we come out of our office into a, a, a public uh, uh, area. We clean our hands and we don't touch surfaces, or if we do, we sanitize our hands again um, that other people have, have touched. This is a particular issue for public restrooms. Um, observational studies have shown over and over again, I'm embarrassed to say, even at our infectious disease meetings, 
Even physicians are not as good as they should be with hand washing and with uh, toilet etiquette and respiratory etiquette. And you have to consider that those surfaces are in fact grossly contaminated. So what can you do? Well, whenever you come out of a bathroom, um, you turn the water off with a paper towel. You open the door with a paper towel. You avoid the forced air hand dryers. Those are ways to very effectively blow virus everywhere, including back at you. And then when you get out of that bathroom, you sanitize your hand, either by washing your hands or obviously by hand sanitizer. So there's a lot of considerations. And we're not trying to make people into germaphobes as much as a clear recognition that there are particular times when you and your family and other people are at risk. Influenza season, uh, if we're going to have a recurrence of COVID in the winter, those are things that we're going to have to attend to and, and deal with. I'm still kind of stuck on the infectious disease doctors not washing their hands at a conference. I'm a little deeply disturbed. But. I know. It, <laughs> it is, uh, to, to be very honest with you, um, it, and COVID is changing that, um, we are going to, I think, have to become a society, particularly during the winter time for the public, where we may wear masks, as you see in Asian cultures, where we attend to hand washing. Uh, more significantly, because the reality of it is we kind of dismiss that, and we don't really realize the toll that it takes. We've begun to realize that in the healthcare setting, as we've seen MRSA and C. diff and norovirus and other diseases like that spread, including, you know, at Mayo Clinic, all of us get a flu vaccine. Uh, to protect our, each other and to protect our patients, because we don't want to spread that virus. We're going to have to be much more conscious of that, I think, as a society. I do think that um, we're getting more used to wearing masks. Certainly here on the Mayo campus, everyone is masked. Um, everyone who works here and everyone who visits here while they're on the campus. I'm sitting alone in my office, so I'm not wearing a mask. But mm -hmm. if I were to leave my office, and when I do, I'll put a mask on. Also, some of the stores here are requiring that, um, that individuals wear masks to enter their store. I've also seen people at some of the checkouts wearing gloves, even, even cloth gloves. And I'm wondering, are there benefits to that? And should we all be considering wearing gloves as well? Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm very concerned about glove wearing. And the reason for it is this. I'm, I'm concerned that gloves in particular, not so much masks, give a false sense of security. That glove is no different than your bare hand. We don't have any reason to think that virus is uh, infecting people through their skin. There's no evidence for that. So whether you have a glove on or you're barehanded, if you have a glove on and you touch your face, you've infected yourself. Or anything else that you touch, you've, pot you've potentially infected or spread the virus to that surface. So. Uh, I don't wear gloves outside of medical reasons in, in the hospital or, or in the clinic to wear them. And I think better is just hand sanitization with uh, appropriate hand sanitizer. Now, there may be certain environments where wearing a glove makes sense. If you are, uh, for example, a food handler, that might be appropriate. Um, if you're doing something where you're having to touch people uh, in, in large volumes, that might make sense. 
but you got to learn how to take that glove off properly. And I don't see people doing that. And you have to realize that gloved hand is just as potentially infected as your bare hand. So good hand washing is important. Once again, that's the key. I was I was really intrigued, Greg, by what you said about the 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 blow the hand dryers in the restrooms because I've always hated those, nice. and um, so I feel vindicated now that um, paper towels are in vogue again and that those are maybe do uh, maybe aren't as helpful as we thought they were in either um, conserving environmentally or preventing the spread of disease. Yeah, you know, like everything, it's a trade-off. Uh, do the forced hand dryers decrease uh, the use of paper products? Yes, but we have to realize at a cost. Um, I have done studies where I have swabbed the bathroom faucet handles and the doors leaving the bathrooms. And I, I know it's gross, but those are more contaminated than cultures we've taken of toilet water. So you just have, and this has been very elegantly demonstrated with norovirus. When you flush the toilet with the lid open, a plume cloud of virus emanates from that and coats every surface in the bathroom. Forced hand air dryers do the same thing. Also, oh, very disturbing. <laughs> they represent, they represent at, at one level a risk, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So being sensible yeah. is important. Well, those are, that's some great information today. Very enjoyable as well. And I'm wondering, Greg, do you have any uh, other thoughts for us today or any, anything else on the horizon that you'd like to share? Um, I think that um, uh, we may want to talk about some of the newest findings coming up in another episode of uh, uh, the virus is changing, but so is our knowledge about this virus. And knowledge is empowerment. So uh, I think stay tuned to uh, learn some new things about the virus, how the virus is changing, and how that may change what we do as we learn about the virus. Well, that's great. I look forward to that uh, episode. And um, we also will be talking about some of our research going on at Mayo Clinic in another episode as well. So we have a lot uh, going on and a lot to share. Yeah, we can maybe talk at some point about the vaccine that, that uh, my laboratory is working on developing. So a lot of good things happening at Mayo. That's wonderful. I look forward to that. Thank you so much, Greg, for sharing with us today and for um, being here. And thank you all for listening in. Yeah. Um, this has been Mayo Clinic Q&A, and I thank you, Dr. Poland. Thank you. Mayo Clinic Q&A is a production of the Mayo Clinic News Network and is available wherever you get and subscribe to your favorite podcasts. To see a list of all the Mayo Clinic podcasts, visit newsnetwork.mayoclinic.org. Then click on podcasts. Thanks for listening and be well. We hope you'll offer a review of this and other episodes when the option is available. Comments and questions can also be sent to Mayo Clinic News Network at mayo.edu.